I know it's hard to believe, looking at this physical specimen standing in front of you today, that I was a sprinter in junior high school. It was junior high back then, 7th, 8th, and 9th. Um, I ran the 100 and 220-yard dash and was above average. I, was, I wasn't all that, but I was above average. And um, we were in the, running the city meet at Evans Collins, and I know that dates me. If you're old enough to remember Evans Collins Stadium, that you're, you're really, really old. We were on the city meet at Evans Collins. It was on an asphalt track, and <clears throat> in the 220 race, you start on the opposite side of the field and run to the, to the home side. And uh, about where the turn started from the straightaway, there had been probably several nights before the, uh, the end a uh, storm, and it washed some mud onto the track. Well, there was about a it was it was the full width of the track, but probably 40, 50 feet long. A section where just mud covered the track. You couldn't see the lanes or anything else. Just you run through mud, which was typical of those days. Um, <clears throat> but with the gun fires, I'm in, I think, lane three or four, and there are spotters around the track to make sure you stay in your lane and nobody touches anybody else or does anything uh, against the rules. And so the gun fires, I take off out of the blocks. And doing well. <clears throat> and, of course, I get to this mud section, I can't see that. Nobody else can see the lanes either. So uh, as a sprinter is natural to do, you want to cut the distance, make it as short as you can, get as far inside as you can. So I was in, in lane three and probably leaning into two and trying to get into one if I could. I, I noticed, well, got caught. In fact, the runner next to me uh, got caught as well. And so both of us, were, we, we finished the race, but both of us were disqualified because we got out of our lane. You got to stay in your lane. This teaching we're going to look at today is dealing with this very, if you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 11 is where we're going to be today. This teaching today is about seeing God's plan for your life, staying in your lane, finding your lane, and staying in your lane, starting on the right course and finishing qualified, finishing on, in the right way, in your lane, the way God's designed and planned before you're ever born for your life to be. Uh, that's not an easy thing to do, whether there's mud over the track or not. It's easy for us to get sidetracked and find detours and find places where we wander off, sometimes to eventually find our way back, and some never find their way back and and live their entire Christian existence knowing God but being outside of God's plan for them. And in fact, I would say probably, if, if I were to wager a guess, I'd say probably 65 to 70% of most believers believe God has a plan for their life, know him personally, but have never discovered it or have discovered a taste of it and have wandered away, never to find their way back again. And so I want us today to look at this text in, in light of the fact that you and I find ourselves in a race. And Paul uses that analogy I shared with you in this week's e-news. I think very well because life is that. It is, uh, it is, uh, a race set before us and the course laid out for us by him as our author and designer. But yet, as I shared with you, we'll we'll touch on this in just a few moments as well, as I shared with you in the e-news, most of us see it as a series of sprints from one event to the next, from that event to the next, from that event. And it is not that. In fact, if we see life as a series of sprints, we'll miss God's overall plan for us because he wants us to have a broader, wider view and back up to where we can see, aha, this time frame was about that. 
And this was about that. And we start to connect the dots. And we see God's got design to this. This is the course he has me on because this led to, the, led, led to that. And so as we see those pieces start to be put together, we start to understand how the Holy Spirit speaks to us uniquely, to us, and start to understand how he uses his word to guide us and direct us. And so today I want us to look at the, this text in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 39, continuing into chapter 12, verse 3. Follow along with me. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. These, these he's talking about, is these champions of the faith. If you go back and read the, the entire ch- uh, chapter of, of uh, Hebrews 11, it's this great faith chapter of all these patriarchs, by faith Abraham, by faith Noah, by faith Moses, by faith. So that by, we, we see this great roll call of faith and, and, and the, the things that affected their lives in the kingdom. Um, they had not received, uh, none of them received what had been promised. Verse 40, God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Four things I want us to see today out of this text. First is this. The plans of God require a partner. The plans of God require a partner. Look at verse 40. He says it here again. God had planned something better for us so that only, watch this, together with us would they be made perfect. He had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. As I said, we've just seen this great roll call of faith in the, in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. And he says here that these, these spiritual champions, the, these, these folks, that most of us would hold on a pedestal and, and hold in, a, in, a, in an elevated place as far as the faith is concerned. He says, I have something better for you. There's something better for you than I had for them. And what you saw, saw in their life and the faith they exercised brought glory to me and, and, and elevated the work of the kingdom. But I have something even better for you. I want you to see what I have for you that's even better than, than they've, they, they've experienced. And not just good, but best. If Evans College dated me a minute ago, the Sears and Roebuck catalog would date me as well. We used to receive those catalogs at our house. And if you remember, if, if you remember those catalogs, uh, every, every few pages you'd see a, a, a page where there was, let's say, men's, got men's polo shirts. There was a good polo shirt, a better polo shirt, and a best polo shirt on one page. Good, better, best. And most of us oftentimes will settle for good when God's best is what's designed for us. His, his design for us is always better for us. It's a little scary sometimes because it moves us into territory that we've never been in before, stepping into areas and sometimes even relationships and situations that are new to us and consequently foreign to us. But to experience God's best, we've got to move beyond what is convenient, what is good, what is known into the, un- into the unknown sometimes. So... This race of, of life for us that he's talking about is not just essential that we, 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 that we have a partner, but the partner, the best partner, the, the right partner. He says, that's me. So he uses this phrase, but together with us. He's planned for us better things. Only together with him will we find those better things, he's saying in that verse. Every race of any significant distance needs a navigator, needs somebody to, to help find, chart the course and Look at the GPS or 
I still enjoy looking at paper maps because I want to see where things are going. I want to get more information than GPS will give me to see what's, what's anticipated next. But every, every race of any, uh, any, any, any travel of any distance usually needs a navigator to help find the way because the person running the race or driving the car or navigating the, the circumstances, it's hard for them to see. They focus on the energy to get there and not the direction to get there. Our lives need that as well. And verse 40 tells us that he is, he is that guide. He is that, that perfect navigator. Uh, and many of us, most of us think the right start will get, put us in good stead later on in life. And it often does. But just because you grew up in church doesn't mean you know God's plan for your life. Just because you grew up hearing some Bible stories, singing some songs, nothing wrong with any, any of those things. And great that your parents raised you in church. So go back and thank them for it. But a great start doesn't always mean a great finish. Starting in the right place and in the right way doesn't mean we, we end up where God's designed for us to be. Because here, and here's the here's sad truth and the sobering truth. Here's why it's so important that we, we get in God's plan. Because the older we get, the more consequential the decisions become. When you're nine, the consequence of your decisions may be bad for that day, but they're not, they're not bad for eternity. They're not certainly bad for your health or bad for your relationships oftentimes or affect your job. But the decisions the older you get are more consequential. And making the wrong one affects us to, to a far greater extent the older we get than when we were, when we were far younger. That's why it's so, so vital we have a navigator, we have a partner, somebody to help us to, to, to navigate the way. And we have that in Jesus. We have a partner, a navigator, and we have the roadmap in your hands today, this morning, that, that helps us see the, the path and the way God wants us to go. The plans of God require a partner. Secondly, the plans of God require a simpler life. Look at the first part of verse 1 with me in chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the, uh, and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Um, I like to watch American pickers. Mike and Frank go into some places that are strange and odd sometimes and find well, these things that are valuable to them. I can't believe what they pay for things sometimes, but American Pickers is on History Channel, as is a show called Hoarders. And uh, they'll often start digging through some dusty stuff in a barn or something, and the owner of the barn will say, you know, I know it's in there somewhere. I saw it 10 years ago. So I, I haven't got it. It's got to be there somewhere. So they're digging through, finding stuff. Same, same way with the hoarder. I, I know I've got it here somewhere. It's just, it's just a matter of putting my hands on it. You and I have, most of us, we, though we may not classify ourselves as hoarders, we live such a cluttered life oftentimes that it's hard for the Lord to find his way into. And, and he, as I, as I said so many times, um, refuses to compete with the clutter in our life. Did you know one of the fastest growing business models in America is storage units? It's one of the fastest growing businesses in America. That should say something about us, about how, 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 how important acquisition is that we acquire and possess and own it's someplace else. We're not using it, but we own it. And it's still over there, and we're paying <laughs> paying rental space on it just to keep it and have it, but we don't need it or often use it sometimes. It, it, it is funny as, as we, as Americans, think of how we don't consider ourselves hoarders necessarily. Most of us wouldn't. But, but it's, it's hard for us to simplify. It's hard for us to get rid of, to turn loose of things that we don't even use anymore. Uh, and what, what was at one time valuable to us, hopefully, perhaps, is, uh, is sitting now in storage collecting dust. Because um, instead of using it, instead of being stewards of it, we're just possessors of it. We own it, 
We don't use it. We're, we're, there's no stewardship involved. It's just a, just something we put our put our name on. And he tells us here that it's it's far better if we could live a simpler life to throw off those things, not just drop them, throw them as far away as we can get them, throw off those things that hinder us, that keep us from becoming all God's designed for us to be, and 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 to where we're we can see what really matters. Let me ask you this: beyond food, clothing, shelter, and transportation, what do you really need? Beyond food, clothing, shelter, transportation, what do you really need? And how desperately do you need it? How, how, how much does it, does it enhance or hinder your life? Uh, he encourages here to throw off, throw off those things that hinder us so that we can see what God might be up to. It, if, it may be possessions that hinder us. It may be a job or career path that hinders us. It may be some friendships that, that have hindered us and, and held us back. He's saying whatever it is, be willing to throw off those things and lay those things down in order to find a deeper walk and a deeper understanding of my plan for you. Uh, you say, Tim, that sounds all great and everything, but how do I do that? Well, if you're here and you're, you struggle with, with what you have, how to, how to let go, let me give you two, two little ideas and nuggets. One is this what I call the one-year or heirloom rule. If you own it, you've not used it in a year, and it's not a family heirloom of some kind, you probably don't need it. In fact, when Leanne and I moved, the last time we moved, went up into our attic, and there was a bunch of just junk in our attic, and and we were trying to, trying to downsize so we wouldn't have to move so much. And so she said, what are we going to do about that stuff in the attic? I said, okay. Let's lay down some ground rules first before we ever go, walk a step up in the attic. Let's lay down some ground rules. Okay. We haven't used it in a year. It's not a family heirloom. It goes no matter what it's worth, what somebody will pay for it, where we got it. Fair enough, it goes. Took three pickup loads to the dump out of my attic of, of stuff that was just we hadn't seen or used in a year, and it wasn't a family heirloom. Somebody else might have been able to use it, but we weren't, we weren't willing to find them to use it. So we, so we took it to the dump. It, it's amazing how many things we acquire we think we might need or someone else might need, I encourage you to start. That's a good starting place. If you haven't used it in a year and it's not a family heirloom, consider getting rid of it or, or getting it to somebody that could actually use it instead of yourself. The other is this. It's what I call the mutual value rule. That as, as it relates to a, not, not a possession necessarily, but as it relates to a job, as it relates to a relationship, a friendship, is there mutual value there? Are you gleaning something from that relationship, from that job, and are you offering something to that relationship and that job? Is, is there mutual benefit? Your, your, your job benefits from you, you from your job. That relationship, that friendship benefits from you and you from them. If the answer to that is no, there's not mutual benefit, I would encourage you to find those things that, where there's mutual benefit. Because um, and, and, uh, I've experienced this in my own life where friendships that are maybe long-time friendships, they just suck you dry because it's, Folks are gleaning from you and depending on you to kind of carry the day, and you get nothing back from them or vice versa. So look into your life of things that I could simplify to say, this has been in, this has been in the basement, this has been in the attic, this has been in some storage unit somewhere for well over a year. I've not used it in a year. It's not a family heirloom. I don't need it. I need to find somebody that can use it or bring it to the cross point. Rummage sale, and they'll find somebody that needs it. And look into those relationships to say, is there and are there mutual value relationships that, as I say, whether it deals with a career or with a friend or someone else, simplify. 
We need to learn as Americans. It's hard for us, I get it. We need to learn desperately as Americans and as believers, as followers of Christ, to simplify because he refuses to crawl over the clutter that you have to get to you. He just will not do it. He, he encourages us to live simpler lives, throwing off things that hinder us. Thirdly, the plans of God not only require a partner, require a simpler life, but thirdly, the plans of God require perseverance. Look at the last part of verse 1 with me of chapter 12. Let's throw, throw off everything that hinders us in the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us run with perseverance because the race marked out for us. Um, because we've transitioned from a repair it to a replace it culture, it's hard for folks to see perseverance in action. It's hard for them to see that this, has, I need to, this can be fixed. This can be repaired. There's more life in this than what I've Thought, it, what, thought there was originally. And uh, consequently, each of us, uh, each generation, passing generation, sees, sees life through a different lens and, and holds on to things far uh, more loosely and gets rid of things far more readily. Um, it's, it's, as I said earlier, it's far easier to, in that vein to look at life as a series of sprints rather than one long race. And perspective will cause us to look at things at one, uh, as one long race instead of a series of sprints that's what God's calling us to. Attention spans are shorter today, and waistlines are bigger because we're choosing to experience life through a four-inch lens and getting out there and living it ourselves. Let me say that again. Attention spans are shorter today, and waistlines are bigger today because you and I are living life through a four-inch lens instead of getting out there and looking at something different than what we see here. He's encouraging us to do that, I think, in this in this in this text to say, live it. Don't, don't live it virtually. Live it actually. Experience something. Persevere through something. Make your way. Find trod a little bit. People don't trod anymore. It's, it's good that we trod through some things and, and muddle through some things to find Christ in the middle of them or at the end of that journey, that hard place that we've been in. And so if we're impatience would kill us from seeing that. It'll certainly hinder everything and our ability to see that more clearly. Uh, the more the more we actually get out and live, the more we'll see the value of perseverance. That that, that things in life worth having are worth waiting for, worth working for, worth saving for. The actual things worth having are worth persevering to get there and, and realize those things. It teaches us, like few things can, about the eternal nature of God as well. If we're looking at snippets of life. Well, it's hard to look through an eternal lens and see a bigger picture of what God is up to if we're looking sprint after sprint after sprint after sprint after sprint. It teaches us the value of it, of, of eternal, an eternal view. It's the glue, actually, that holds the valuable lessons of life together. And we might still be on course had we persevered, some of us, but we've gotten off because we weren't willing to persevere. We're willing to hang in there and see what God is up to next, what this next journey might be, or turn in the journey might be. Now look also at this, that we don't walk with perseverance. We run with perseverance, he says in this verse. Why do you think that's the case? Because I think what he's trying to get across here is time is short. When you look at life through an eternal lens, boy, it's short. When you look at life through a temporary lens, you can't wait for the next thing, the next experience, the next sprint, the next journey, the next event. And we see life as a series of events but when we back up and see life, the scripture says if you live three score and ten, you're blessed. In other words, if you live to 70 or beyond, consider yourself blessed. 
looking through an eternal lens, 70 is nothing. I mean, I look at, I can remember my life as a kid, and it seems like last year instead of 10, 50 years ago. As we start to look through an eternal lens, we get a bigger picture of things, and life starts to take far, far more clear. Uh, we start to see far more clearly God's plan and purpose and design for us. It starts to take shape. Uh, but he says here, if we'll back our view up a little bit, we'll see how short time actually is. And we'll make the most of the time that God's given us today to walk into places that are his plan and his design for us. The plans of God require perseverance. You know what sticks out in our culture? Perseverance. You know why? Because we live in a disposable culture. It, 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 it is a loud, resounding witness to the goodness and the faithfulness of our God when we can walk in that place. The plans of God require a partner. They require a simpler life. They require perseverance. Finally, the plans of God require a special focus. Look at verse 2, chapter 12. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. When we're doing life, especially in a hard place, where we're focused makes all the difference. All the difference whatsoever in, in, in those hard places. Here's why. Our focus gets our attention off the circumstances and on the solution. And the solution is not that or her, but him in Jesus. When we get our eyes focused on him, it makes all the difference because success and failure depend on our ability to see beyond the circumstances and see what God is up to, see the outcome. Let me say that again. Success and failure depend on our ability to see beyond these present circumstances and see what God might be up to in them and in us. Okay, great. How do we do that? We do that by <clears throat> not focusing on the present or the process, but the person of Jesus. He's the prize. Focusing on the prize of the person of Christ is how we do that. It, it's, it, it's, 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 I'll learn how we run and win this race because winning the prize is not some cheap plastic trophy that says we participated. Winning the prize is Christ-likeness. Is our looking and walking and thinking and, and, and according to his design for us and, and, and looking like him as we speak, as we talk, as we interact, as we relate to each other. Christ-likeness is the prize, being like him, not having something to tote around another possession to put in a storage closet somewhere. So when we can see the prize, it's far easier to understand. In understanding the prize, I understand the present. And understanding the prize and seeing the, the person in the prize I can see more clearly the process. If I'm looking for the present to show me the prize, I'll never see it. If I'm looking at the process to show me the prize, I'll never see it. When my eyes are on the prize, on the, on the person of Christ, his Christ-likeness is my goal, and the present comes into clearer focus, and the process comes into clearer focus for us. We start to see, we, so we start to have a number of aha moments. That was really cool. I saw God show up and do something here in this conversation that I would ne never have seen <clears throat> had I been looking at just the nature of this conversation. But looking at Christ's likeness in me, and that, 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 that is the prize. Here's what that was about. It, it's starting to make sense. And so as we keep our eyes on the prize, we more clearly see those things. Every race has a starter and a finisher. The, the, the starter has the gun and lays out the course, fires the gun, Every race also has a timer who stands at the finish line to time our, our, when we cross the finish line. He's saying in this, in this verse, chapter, verse 2, I have both of those for you. 
I'm the person at the beginning of the course that says, here's where, you're, here's where we're going. Now, you see the, see the end down there? Here's what, now, you don't focus on between the end. I got all of that. You just keep, keep your eyes on the prize on the end, and that's where we're going to, to take you from where you are to Christ's likeness, <clears throat> to take you from looking like you to looking like me. That's where we're going. You see that? Keep your eyes on that. Fire the gun. Keep your eyes on the prize the, the whole way, and he'll take care of the process. He'll take care of every turn in, in, in the way. He'll take care of every, every detour, every valley, every place where we don't understand if we keep our eyes on the prize of Christ's likeness as we run the race. He is the author, as I said, and laid out the course. He's also, this, this, this verse says, the perfector, meaning the finisher, the completer of our faith, the, the, that we finish the race well. Uh, when we get our eyes off the prize, off of him, we not only don't finish well, most of us, we can't even find the course anymore. We're not just out of our lane. We're off the track. We're out of the stadium someplace else. He says, if you keep your eyes on me, you know exactly where you're going and how you're going to get there. So as we wrap up, here's, a, here's an observation, and we'll be through. Whether your life has been a series of course corrections or whether you've gotten off course and stayed there, here's what I want you to hear. There's always a way back. There is always a way back. Whether, you've, whether your life has been a series of minor course corrections, I'm off, I'm back, I'm off, I'm back, or you've gotten off, as I said, you, can't, you, you not only can't see the lanes anymore, you're out of the stadium. You're somewhere altogether different. And you're wondering, how do I get back over there? I'm going to tell you, there's always a way back. He always will, will, will pursue. The scripture, the scripture is over and over again, has story after story of folks that he continued to come after and come after and come after and come after, and he does that with us. He's promised to do that with us. There's always a way back, whether it's course corrections or whether you've lost course altogether. Because here's the, here's the end, end game. If you know Jesus, if you know him, the GPS is in your heart in the form of the Holy Spirit, and the roadmap is in your hand in the form of his word. You have access to everything you need to know from him and about him in order to get back on course. The GPS is in your heart. The roadmap's in your hand. But you've got to know him personally. You've got to have a relationship with him to know him personally. And if you know him personally, if you're here today and you don't, get to know him before you leave here today. If you do, you think, Tim, I've just gotten off course. I'm not sure how to get back. I know God's got a plan for me. I know he's got a design for me. I've seen snippets of it throughout my life, but... Not enough to know, am I in the right lane anymore? So how do I get back in the right lane? You get back in the right lane by, by where we're focused. I can't focus on the lane. I can't focus on the stadium. I can't focus on my job. I can't fo- I've got to focus my eyes on the prize, and the prize is Christ-likeness. If I get my eyes off the prize, I'll get my eyes out of the lane, totally out of the stadium. Back on the prize takes me back into the stadium and back into my lane. Where am I looking? Where am I focused today? On my circumstances? on the one who's designed my life to be all that he's designed for it to be. And it's just like him. So how do I get my focus back there? I've got I to gotta look to him and not what's going on around me. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's not an easy process. Because the enemy says, look at this over here. This looks really good. This looks, in fact, this looks like a much better plan than what he's got for you. What he's, what he's had for you looks pretty hard and it's been hard at times. This looks a lot easier over here, safer over here. And he'll... he'll, he'll dissuade us and get our attention and focus off the prize and Jesus is saying get back to me I'm the author and perfecter of your faith I am the source of, of every design and plan I've got for your life run the race with me you'll finish well you'll finish where I want you to finish and you'll see the things I want you to see all throughout the way but you've got to keep your focus on me and not those things
I know that's not an easy thing to do, depending on the patterns of where we, where we found ourselves living and, and sometimes how we grew up, basically, with our circumstances defining us or not. We've got to unlearn those habits and unhear the enemy and put him in his place and say, no, my focus is on him. I'm backing up, looking at life through a bigger lens. I'm not seeing it as a series of sprints anymore. I want to see the whole race. I want to see the big picture. And I see it by, by keeping my eyes on the prize of Christ's likeness. I want to encourage you to get back on the course today, if you've gotten off. Get back in your lane. You may just be out of your lane. Get back in your lane. If you're totally out of the stadium, get back in the race today. I want to encourage you to do that, and we do that by, fo- by refocusing where, where our worldview is, what our plans are, what our goals and dreams for ourselves, our families, our vocations. We, we refocus and get our attention back on him today and look through a much bigger, much broader lens to do that. It's worth it. I'm going to tell you it's worth it. I've lived outside of God's plan for my life, and I've lived inside of God's plan for my life. And we'll tell you, the better, the far better place is inside God's plan for my life. It's worth it. Make the effort to get there. Let's pray.